Well, hope you're enjoying enjoying our service today. I know I am. Uh, just uh, that first part, just good stuff. And you probably caught that we have yard signs available, and we want you to grab those on the way out. They're at the entrances, so the doors on your way out of the parking lot, just grab one of those and put those in your yards. We're doing that because we're going to have a mailing coming up in about a month, and we would like to have a little more presence, and it all sort of ties in together. And so you help us by doing that. I didn't mention this in the first hour, but some people have been asking me about Jake and kind of what's going on there uh, in the Olympics. And he's there in Japan. He's, I actually, I, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but I know he has a little bit of an issue with a, a blister on his, they shoot with their fingers and he's got blisters there. And so that's kind of an unusual thing that he's dealing with. But we are planning a watch party. I, I thought that wouldn't be until maybe next Monday at the earliest, but now that could happen on Friday or Saturday. So we'll get the word out. Those schedules are kind of tricky. And uh, what we plan on doing is having something in the gym back here and say if it's 1230 at night or whatever, uh, come if you want and we'll throw it up on a big screen and we'll have a good time together. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, come and, and we may have some fun. Today, we are starting a new series, Sola. And how many have heard of the Solas? How many know what that means? Right, it's not the little red cup. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. It's not Kevin gonna sing by himself. Everybody would leave if that happened. It's not that. Sola really uh, is a Latin term that means alone. And so there are five alones that uh, we use as the five solas, and really they're the essence of the Bible. And so it goes this way. People put these in slightly different order sometimes, same five. It goes like this. According to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. All right, there's going to be a test on this in about one minute, so tune in, all right? According to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, for God's glory alone. Okay, here's a test part, all right? Are we ready? According, are you guys ready? According to, we are saved by, through, in, for, Not as good as first service, all right? I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. That was pretty good, but not as good as first service. You want another shot or not? Okay, you do want another shot. Okay, here we go. Because I may have messed you up. So let me, let me start you off right, all right? According to, we are saved by, through, in, for, Hey, all right, better than first, all right, right there. Better than first, or of course, you had two shots, but, you know, whatever. All right, so these five alones, they're the essence of the Bible. They're the essence of the gospel. It's kind of the main thing Scripture teaches. Now, a lot of people, 
you know, see these solas as coming out of the Reformation. And I don't normally spend a lot of time talking about dead theologians. We're going to do that just a little bit today. But these are truths that existed before the Reformation. They were actually re-emphasized during the Reformation, and they've always been held also after the Reformation. So, but they were never really packaged together with these five truths in a sentence, and sometimes that sentence is a little different with the same five truths. They were never really packaged that way until just, you know, 150 years ago or something. So the five solas weren't packaged, but those truths did, they were re-emphasized in the Reformation. Now, before we get to that, I want to give you a historical context, because some, some of you, I'm saying Reformation, don't know what I'm talking about, and some people are like, oh yeah, that's Ref Reformation, that's where all the non-Catholic churches came from. That's not exactly true. Not, it's not that all non-Catholic Christian churches came out of the Reformation. Um, that, it didn't happen that way, and so I'm going to try to explain that. As a matter of fact, I go through this history. How do we go from first century to here with all these denominations? I do that in, in our 101 class, but that takes me like 12 minutes, so I'm trying to cut it down here to make it a little, little shorter. So from the days of the apostles, churches had one body of truth, one doctrine, and that came from the apostles. And then churches began to spread to Africa, Middle East, to Europe, and to Asia. Scripture during the first century was written and completed, although pieces of, pieces of it were circulating around. It took a while to accumulate, for any one church to accumulate all the pieces, and I'll get back to that in a little bit. But each church was independent, just like our church is, Grace Community. But starting in about the mid-third century, and it was during an intense persecution by the Roman emperor Decius, during that persecution, a gradual change took place. Pastors in certain notable towns started referring to themselves more as bishops, and then those pastors, bishops, started um, kind of exercising, uh, they, they assumed hierarchical authority over the churches in their region. So notable churches, the pastors started calling themselves bishops, and they assumed hierarchical authority. I'm over these other churches around me. That happened in Rome. That happened in Alexandria, different places. But there were always, and, and a lot of churches surrendered to that uh, new thing, that new kind of structure. But many churches never did. Those other churches, they refused to come under this growing authority of the bishops. And then eventually what happened is one bishop in one town, which is Rome, a couple hundred years later, well, then he started assuming hierarchical authority over the other bishops because Rome was the political power of the world, but then not all the bishops even went along with that. So it was always kind of messy. So the churches who refused to come under this growing authority of the bishops uh, were independent, and they always were. We can actually trace these independent churches back to third century France. Um, and, and we know they existed because as the Catholic Church uh, gradually became organized and adopted new practices and doctrines, 
these independent churches always maintain their historical biblical positions. And I know this sounds complicated, but it's really simple. It's there were always churches that stuck to the apostles' teaching and the Bible when the Bible was written. So, and they, and they just stuck with that. And then when new things would happen, for example, uh, one guy, one bishop says, hey, I'm now a pope and I'm over all the other bishops. You know, they just went, no, we don't, we don't, we don't believe in a pope. It's not biblical. And then there's also along with the pope is papal infallibility, which is a doctrine that, that the pope not every time he speaks, but he can speak officially ex cathedra, and when he does that, whatever he says is just as binding as Scripture is. Well, obvious, a lot of people never accepted the Pope, and a lot of people never accepted that he could say something, and it's just as important as the Bible. So all that, and then the reason we know a bunch of people didn't agree with that it's not from independent churches leaving records because independent churches didn't leave a lot of records. It's because the official Catholic church left records about how they persecuted the churches that didn't submit to the Pope. That's, that's how we know about them. It's really from Catholic historical documents. But anyway, um, the Reformation was a movement that started in the 1500s, and it started after the invention of the printing press. Now, the printing press was invented in Europe in 1440. It had already kind of existed in China and Korea, but it really didn't catch on as far as movable type and all that stuff until the 1400s. 1440-ish, we say, the printing press. Well, then after the printing press, the very first thing that's printed on it is the Bible. And then all of a sudden, you can mass produce the Bible. That was super significant. But because before that, for 1,400 years, the way people have been getting, have been getting the Bible is that a monk would, would sit somewhere, some copyist, some church guy would sit in a room somewhere and start copying word for word this, you know, one of these letters, one of these parts, one of these books of the Bible. But they were very... Um, serious about not introducing any error because they saw that as the word of God. So they would do things like if they made a mistake, they didn't have whiteout, you know, or they didn't, they didn't change it on their computer. They didn't have word check, spell check, all that. They would actually, and they wouldn't just mark it out. They would actually just tear up that copy and start all over. And they would do that. And then when they were done, they would count all the letters. How many A's? How many B's? How many C's? And does that all agree with the original? Because they didn't want to unintentionally introduce an error into God's Word. Well, because they were so painstakingly accurate in the way they copied the Word of God, it took forever to make copies of the books of the Bible. And we appreciate that. Now, we've benefited from that because the people used to make this argument, well, we don't know what was really in the Bible in the beginning because it's been copied so many times and translated in so many languages. And now, 2,000 years later, we don't have a clue as to what it originally said. 
Science has actually disproven that completely. Through archaeology, we can skip the 2,000 years, dig up things from 1st and 2nd century Palestine and northern Africa and other places, and we can get the Greek text of the Bible, we can translate it into English, and it's, a, it's the same thing that what we have now, 99.9% the same. And what's different is just spelling differences typically. No doctrinal difference in the Bible. So what they did, they did well. Well, because of this, Bibles were very expensive to get a hold of. Sometimes there were churches and the whole church didn't have a Bible. But after the printing press in the 1400s, and the first thing they print is a Bible, they start whipping off these Bibles and now Bibles are starting to get to where you can purchase them and groups of people can purchase them and churches can always have a Bible. And then church leaders, pastors got to have a Bible, and priests got to have a Bible because they didn't always have access to the Bible. And people started reading the Bible, and it was the reading of the Bible that brought the Reformation. Most people equate the Reformation with a guy named Martin Luther. He's a priest. He's in Germany, and uh, he starts reading the Bible, and he realizes, because he's Catholic, there's a lot of things that the Catholic Church teaches that's not right according to the Bible. And so he nails 95 theses up on a church door, which is basically a public protest and an invitation to public debate about the issues where he says, hey, the church has got this wrong for these 95 reasons. And there were a bunch of stuff in there. So not only was there the, the papal authority thing when a pope speaks ex cathedra, but there were other things like the selling of indulgences. Back then, the Catholic Church would sell an indulgence, which meant if you gave money, you wouldn't really have to repent or do penitence of, of a sin like you would otherwise. So with money, you could be less repentant. Or maybe easier to explain is because the church taught The Catholic Church taught something that's not in the Bible called purgatory, a place that you go that you have to sort of work yourself up into heaven. Well, through through indulgences, if a loved one died, you could give the church money and that would get, get them to heaven quicker. And so, you know, Martin Luther and a whole bunch of other people are looking at this going, this is not right. This is corruption and this is unbiblical. And so that led to the Reformation. But And then what happened to Martin Luther is he had a few debates. They they tried him in court, and they eventually excommunicated him. And then in Germany, he sort of secretly translated the Bible into German so people uh, that didn't know Latin could read it, and that was happening. But what he did was already happening in other places in Europe. For example, before Martin Luther, John Wycliffe was translating the Bible into the the language of the common person. Also, a man named Peter Waldo was doing the same thing. Even during Calvin's life, there was a man in Switzerland, Zwingli, who was doing the exact same thing that Calvin was doing. He was going by the Bible, teaching the Bible, rejecting Catholic church doctrine, but he was a little more isolated in the mountains, and so he didn't get all the press or all the persecution that uh, Martin Luther did. So all this was happening But there were always churches that kept their independence that never went along with all that doctrine because they never went under the authority of the Catholic Church. Does that make sense? Wow, that was weak. All right. (laughs) 
So, and, and while Luther's doing all this, shortly thereafter, Calvin's sort of doing the same thing in France, and he comes up with a systemized biblical theology. And all, but it all comes down to one question. If I can gather you back in, if you're like, wow, I, yeah, that's, I see what you mean by the dead guys. Yeah, okay, we're done with that. If we can bring you back in. It all came down to one question. Hey, when we believe this, we believe it. Who says? Who says? How do we know that's right? Who's the authority? Whose authority should we follow? Now, independent churches had already figured that out. They have to go by the Bible, and they rejected the Pope, and they were persecuted for it by Catholics. It was all about sola scriptura, scripture alone, as the final authority in life and in church teaching. So now I want to work through this topic with three questions about Scripture alone as our final authority. And the first question is this, who says Scripture alone? If we're saying Scripture alone, well, who says that's right? Who says Scripture alone is our final authority? And first of all, Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, here's what he says. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. When he says that, he's talking about the Old Testament that was their Bible at the time. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now that smallest letter or stroke, some of you learned this verse. How many heard of not the smallest jot or tittle. Anybody hear that? That's from the King James. And what the, they just translated it a little more uh, fuller. Jot was the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Looked like a comma. And then a tittle was just a piece of a letter, like the dot over our eye. And he's saying not the smallest letter, not the smallest piece of one letter will fail to be accomplished in the Word of God, in the Bible. That's what Jesus is saying. No part of the Bible will not come true. No part of the Bible will ever change. It will always be true. That's what Jesus taught. And because that's what Jesus taught, that's what Peter taught, for example. Peter writes a book in 2 Peter where he's battling against false teachers, and he's warning them against them. He's saying, don't listen to them, listen to the Word of God. Here's what he says in 2 Peter 1.16. For we, talking about himself, Peter, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Then he mentions the transfiguration. And then not only that, he then later swings the argument toward prophecy. In verse 19, he says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter says, hey, we didn't make this up. We were there. We're just telling you what we saw Jesus do and what we heard Jesus do say. We're just telling you what he told us. That's what he's saying. Then he continues in verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, 
spoke from God. He's saying Scripture comes directly from God, but God used men to write it. And so today, in our day and age, this is one of the major pushbacks against the Bible. Well, hey, that was just written by a bunch of men. A lot of times they will say a bunch of white men, but they weren't actually white men. But, you know, that was just written by a bunch of men. We can't really go by that. But here, Scripture's explaining that, and it's like this. Let's say you're doing some official business, and you sign a contract. You take a pen, you sign a contract, or you take a pen, and you sign the check. You, you can ask, well, who or what signed your name? The pen or the person? Well, you can answer either or both. But what we understand is, yeah, well, the pen's making the marks, but the author is the one who wields the pen. The author is the one who's holding it. That's what God is telling us Scripture is like. God is big enough and powerful enough that He can raise up human beings and He can inspire them to write the Word of God. Not dictate every word He says, but to write the Word of God in their own language, in their own style, with their own personality, exactly what God wants to say down to the very letter. That's what Peter's teaching us. And so Peter says, hey, the Old Testament prophets, they're completely reliable. It doesn't originate with men. It comes from the God through the Holy Spirit. And so not only does Jesus say it's Scripture alone is our authority, not only does Peter say that, but then later Paul says the same thing in a, maybe a better known passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, and many of you know this verse, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All Scripture, he's saying, is literally God-breathed. It comes directly from God. It teaches us what to believe. So if the first question is, who says Scripture is its final authority? Well, Scripture says that, but it's Jesus says that, Peter says that, Paul says that, the writers of Scripture are all saying that. Well, then the next question might be, well, why do we need Scripture as our final authority? I mean, if we can, if there's some system that God has put in place where we can have a personal relationship with God and we can talk to God, well, then why do we even need the Bible if we have this kind of a connection? Why? Why do we need that? Well, first of all, Scripture alone is the most foundational of all the solas. It's from Scripture where we can be objective about all these truths about the Bible. For example, the other four solas, and it's, you know, grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, according for God's glory alone, you know, all that. So that's the foundation that teaches all of Christian belief is the Scripture. Now, for the Reformers, but also for people before the Reformers and people after the Reformers, Scripture alone, their whole point was, has authority over church tradition, over church councils, and over anybody who says they're a pope. Scripture is an authority over all that, is what he's saying. Scripture creates the church. The church doesn't create Scripture. Scripture judges the church. The church doesn't judge Scripture. And today we need to remember, hey, Scripture is also over 
our personal experience. Scripture is also over our personal preferences. Scripture is also over whatever personal cultural considerations that we may have, because all that is subjective. God's Word is objective. For example, I was converted to Christianity through the teaching of the Bible. And if you're a Christian, so were you. I mean, that's where we're getting this. It's from the Bible. I decided to become a pastor. You know, nobody would have thought I was going to be a pastor, you know, for whatever that's worth. But I decided to become a pastor simply because I thought the most important thing I could do was teach Scripture, teach the Bible to other people, because I, I saw it as the most important message. So that's what, I, that's what I decided to do with my life at that point. And by the way, if you're, and that's not for everybody, but by the way, if you're a parent, that's for you. If you're a parent, it's your job to teach your kids the Bible and to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, the church will help you do that, but that's primarily your responsibility right there. So we also, so we need the authority, authority, Scripture alone, because it's foundational, but also we need it because it's unchanging. Have you noticed everything in our world is changing at an alarming rate? It's just amazing. Things are happening now that 30 years ago would have been like, that. that's never going to happen. And that's already, we're way beyond that. It's just everything's changing. God's Word is authoritative, and God's Word does not change. Now, that comes with some issues. I mean, some people, they'll say, hey, hey, I like Jesus, but I just don't buy everything in the Bible. I'm reading some stuff, and I just... A lot of it's because people don't know how to read the Bible. A lot of it people don't understand. Hey, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, this is a story all pointing to Christ. This is a method of keeping some people separate. Not all that stuff is for us today. you got to understand where it fits in the story. But people will say, well, I just don't believe all the Bible. Well, if you don't believe all the Bible, then you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. Because wherever you differ from the Bible and you're thinking Jesus is okay with that, you're really re-imaging Jesus in your own imagination the way you think he ought to be. And that's not Jesus at all. That's a figment in your own mind. And, and, but people reject this. They reject uh, the Bible as authority. A lot of the time they throw out the science thing. Well, hey, well, I don't believe the Bible because of science. Hey, well, science doesn't disprove the Bible. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I don't believe the Bible because all the miracles and science disproves miracles. No, science doesn't disprove miracles. You got to look at the definition of a miracle and the definition of science. What's a miracle? A miracle happens when the laws of nature are temporarily suspended for something to happen that's not natural. Science is when we can do something that's so natural that we can replicate it over and over again and we get the same result. So here's what I'm saying. If a miracle happened in front of a scientist and he believed it, he could not scientifically prove it happened to another scientist. 
because miracles, by definition, are non-replicable. You don't do them over and over and over. And we have a big issue with this in our culture today. We think anything that a scientist says is science. It's not, if we haven't learned anything in the last year, this would be one of the things we learned. Scientists say things that aren't science. What's science? Something you can reproduce over and over and over to prove that it's a law of nature. Not everything scientists say are scientific. Something, and anytime they can't reproduce it, but they think this is what it is, that's not science, that's a theory that's unprovable or not proven yet. But theories are always based on philosophy. It's, well, we think this is gonna happen. Well, why do you, since you can't reproduce it, why do you think this is gonna happen? And then philosophy comes in. Well, because we believe that in nature, there's nothing outside of nature. And, and then all of a sudden, you're getting into all this naturalism and that it could only be naturalism. And even though uh, uh, the existence of a God, which is pretty much well-founded just by what we look around in the order of our universe, an intelligent creator, we can't allow him in because we're only looking at naturalistic explanations. Well, that's all philosophy. Does that make sense? So when scientists say, you know, when scientists say, no, it's impossible that this virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China. Well, nobody's saying that anymore. But the fact checker said that was, it was impossible, you know. But now everybody's saying, yeah, it probably came from that lab. And the only reason they're not saying it cut, did come from the lab is because they had already said it didn't. You know, it's stuff like that. Those aren't facts. The fact checkers were wrong. You know, it's just, and I'm not trying to make a big old political point here. I'm just saying, everything a scientist says is not science. Can you reproduce it? Can you prove it? That's science. All right? I better get off of that. All right, so moving on. All right. We all submit to authority in our life. We all submit to an authority in our life, whatever that is. So it can be God and his word, but it could be anything. It could be uh, our feelings. It could be um, our culture. It could be we could submit to people who validate us, so we kind of make them an authority, or we make our feelings our authority. Or we make the culture our authority. We all live under an authority. And that's what, there's a problem with that. Because feelings, our feelings, they change. They're not objective, they're subjective. They change all the time. Don't let your feelings be your authority. Here's what I mean by that. Probably your 15-year-old self and my 15-year-old self, we probably thought our 12-year-old self was stupid. Right? Does that make sense? And our 40-year-old self thought our 20-year-old self was really naive. And then we sit here and we think, yeah, but we got it now. And we're assuming our 80-year-old self is not going to think that our 60-year-old self was extremely unwise. You see, our feelings change. They're subjective. God's Word does not change. Truth does not change change. We need an authority that's better than our feelings. And by the way, culture changes too. You realize we talk about cultures and we try to celebrate cultures, but nobody really talks about culture the way it really is. For example, 
Today, in the Middle East and in, in a lot of countries in Africa, there's something called an honor culture. And an honor culture kind of goes this way. You know, I'm a man walking along, and I've got a couple of things that I'm dealing with in my heart. And one is some guy disrespected me. And so I want to react violently toward him. When in honor culture, that's okay. He disrespected you. Of course you should do that. But also walking in that culture is a man who also has something else in his heart is, is a sexual urge. But then he represses that. He suppresses the sexual urge. Okay, that's today. Now, move us over to Western culture. In Western culture, somebody disrespects us, and we feel like pounding them, reacting violently, but we suppress that. No, that's not right. I can't do that. I can't react that way. I can't react with violence toward that person. But then we have a sexual urge, and we're like, boom, anything's open. You know, let's, let's just go for it. You see, those are the same cultures today. It's just cultures change, cultures shift. And now I think we're developing a new culture today where they don't suppress anything, violence or that or anything else, because who says? And that's what's happening. And then they, they're just ruled with, I'll do whatever I want to do. But you're not doing whatever you want to do. You're doing what you feel like doing, or you're doing what other people validate you for doing, or you're doing what the culture says that you should do, or your subculture. If the truth be known, all of us, everywhere around the world, there's probably some things. Here in America, we look back on our past, and we're like, wow, they had a lot of things right. But we look back on our past, if we knew our great grand parents and we could sit down and talk with them, I bet there's some views that they'd have. A few of their views, we'd be like cringe. You know, they'd be cringeworthy. We'd be like, whoa, wow, that's, that's not exactly right. I think that, that would be true of all of us. But what, what, what makes you think that your grandchildren are not going to think the same thing about you? So how do we get away from that? Well, the way you get away from that is the only way to make sure in 75 years your life view is not obsolete is to base it on the truth of the Bible that never changes. To the extent you do that is to the extent you will never be embarrassed by it. Does that make sense? It's the Bible. Peter says it this way. He says, you do well to pay attention which I read a while ago, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. As our country drifts from God, it's becoming a darker and darker place, and even more do we need the illumination, the brightness of Scripture. And we need Scripture alone as our authority because it's personal. I've never really talked about this. We need Scripture alone as our final authority because it's personal. Here's what I mean by that. Personal relationships can only exist where there are words. It's a weird thing to think about. Personal relationships can only exist where there are words. Spoken words, it could be written words, it could be signed words, but they only exist where there are words. And, and you know, people will say, no, you, you don't get it. I can go out in nature, I can go into the woods, and I can worship God better than I could ever worship in a church. Hey, I get that feeling. I'm from Colorado. People say that all the time. I get it. But 
We only grow close to God when we know Him, and we can only know God through words. That only happens through words. Two people have a, a personal relationship. Well, they have to get to know each other. God knows everything about us. He created us. But for us to know anything about God, He has to reveal Himself, which He has done, and He's done that with words. That's right. And it's only when we submit to His authority that we can know Him. Last question. So, who says Scripture alone is authority? Jesus, Peter, Paul, the writers. Why do we need it? Last question. Well, how do we live with Scripture as our authority? How do we practically apply this in our lives? Just short wrap. How do we practically apply it? Well, first of all, by reading it. By re you know, people reject the Bible, and they don't even know the main theme of the Bible. They think, oh, the Bible, that's all about what you should do and shouldn't do, and if you do good enough things, you'll go to heaven. That's the opposite of the theme in the Bible, but that's what people think. Understand the Bible. Read the Bible. Here, the Bible's the best-selling book in the world. The Bible's the number one seller every year. We buy the Bible. We gift the Bible. We think well of the Bible. We just don't read the Bible. We've got to intake the Word of God. And then how do we do it practically? Well, church plays a role in that. Well, how's that? Well, at church, we're also, besides reading Scripture or hearing Scripture, you come and we study it together and we figure it out together. We apply it to our lives together. And, and Peter says this is really important. Here's what he said. He said we have to be reminded about the truth even if we know the truth. we still got to be reminded about it. Here's what he said in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, He's, he's, he's getting old. He's going to die. Here's what he's saying. Therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. We need to come to a place where we're hearing God's truth, where we're seeing the light in our culture where we can study it together, where we can look at it, apply it to our lives, we can learn from each other. It's, it's super important. And so the last, it just comes down to this. What is your view? What's your view of Scripture? Right now, what is your view of Scripture? Do you believe that all of it is true, completely true, every word of it? And if you don't, you're not arguing me. You're arguing with Jesus. Good luck with that. How do you see Scripture? Let me say it this way. Here's my concern. After 30 years of ministry here, here's my concern. In 10 years from now, some of you won't be here. Some of you have moved away and you found another good Bible-believing church, and that's, that's great. But some of you, 10 years from now, you will not be here. And the reason that you won't be here is because you don't believe all of what that book says. And here's why. There'll be some issue in your life 
that the book says is wrong. And for a while, you'll kind of go along with that, but you'll just decide that because you'll be reminded constantly you need to get rid of that. And, and you'll be unwilling to do it. And pretty soon that'll become uncomfortable. And then pretty soon you'll be doubting that the Bible really says that about this issue that you have. And you'll reject parts of the Bible. You'll, you'll walk away. And you'll still think you're good with Jesus. It won't be the Jesus of the Bible. Or this will happen. Somebody that you love, somebody in your family, a loved one, will adopt a lifestyle that's contrary to Scripture. And because the Scripture is just black and white on it, you'll see kind of the emotional side, and then you'll start doubting that that's what Scripture says, and you'll walk away, which is always amazing to me, because rather than just say, hey, I love you, I care about you, I want a relationship with you, but I'm not going to celebrate these things that are wrong in your life, because God doesn't want us to do that, and I, and I'm, I don't think that's best for you, because God says. We're in a culture now where it's like, if you accept me, you got to accept everything I do, which is nuts. I don't accept everything I do. But I've got to accept everything you do? No, we can love people and not accept everything they do based on the authority of God's Word. But because one of those reasons, you'll walk away. And if you have kids in your house when you do it, if you have kids at home, they'll follow you. They'll walk away too. And even when you say, no, no, I'm still good with Jesus, they're smart enough to know, well, you can't pick and choose. You can't just go through and just take the stuff you like and reject the other stuff. It's the Bible. Here's the deal. The Bible is all about God reconciling sinful people to himself through Jesus. That's the whole theme of the Bible. But the other thing is, as he does that, the Bible tells the, the greatest story of the universe beginning to end. And even though we know the ending, we're not there yet in history. And the amazing thing about the Bible is we are part of it. We have a role to play. God has wrote us in. It's the greatest story in the universe, and we're inside of it. And we can have joy in knowing God's told us. He's revealed himself. He's told us everything that we need to know. Maybe not that we want to know. Everything we need to know is right here. Have joy in that. Celebrate that. Take advantage of that. Read the Bible. Have a plan. And stay faithful. Don't walk away. Commit right now, today, that it's the Bible. Ten years from now, the Bible is the final authority in life and belief. And stay true to that. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift that you've given us, your word, that tells us the whole story. And not only that, we get to be a part of it. You've written us in. God, thank you. Thank you for the joy that brings in our hearts. God, help us commit today that we will never walk away. That we will always believe and worship you in truth. In Christ's name, amen.